What's up, everybody? You're listening to an episode of This Most Unbelievable Life. Yes! We're so glad you're listening. If you've been listening for a while, you know my voice. I'm Dr. Sherry Spiegel, and my co-host is my dear friend, Dr. Paul Fitzgerald. That's right, folks. I'm Dr. Paul Fitzgerald, and I'm happy to welcome you to Season 5 of the podcast. I'm honored to be here once again with my co-host, Dr. Sherry Spiegel, as we work to discover, along with you, our own most unbelievable lives. Thank you for listening. Yes. One, two, three. Uh, looks like I'm starting. Hey, Sherry, how you doing? Hey, Paul, how's it going? It's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. What are you up to today? What am I up to today? Uh, not too much. It's uh, time to record a podcast. It is time to record a podcast. And what is it, a Friday? 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 Yeah, it was a fraud podcast Friday today. And it feels like the time to record a podcast. It does. Um, yeah, it's kind of a rainy day. Um, and I think rainy days are good days for indoor activities. Uh, because, you know, what are you going to do? Go outside? No, we'll stay inside and record a podcast. Yeah, I, uh, I've spent the last couple of mornings out at the out at the garden, um, doing some outdoor outdoor work. So my my farmer tan is becoming legendary at this point. But yeah, there's no risk of that today with uh, all the rain coming down. And uh, as as good as uh, a job one can do with a hose, nothing beats a, a solid day of of rain. So it's a good time to uh, to stay inside and let nature run its course, and the garden will do its thing. Uh, for a day or two without me having to babysit, I think. So it's a good time for that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so when you record, when you're gardening, when you're watering your garden, like what's your strategy for distribution of water? Um, I get the hose, obviously. Well, I don't know. That's not always true. Either, I get the hose and then I like spray it on and stuff. But um, I think, what what I'm really trying to get my hand around or my head around these days is um, how much water things actually actually need. Because some things it's like drought tolerant and other things are like water daily. And some things like don't mind a lot of water and some things just need to dry out between. So it's it's sort of getting a sense of how much needs what. But it's also getting in, in touch with the soil and like how absorbent is it. Because I mean, one of these, one of the squares we have up there in the garden of, of plantings like the soil is really deep and it's been worked for years and it's it's not loose but it's not compacted at all and it um it's easy to water and the water really soaks in but it dries out really quickly as well so how much to put where and when it's always kind of the, the holy grail of, of gardening a little bit that's interesting um i was reading this book by nadia bowles weber the other day um mm -hmm. and one of the things she talks about is how crops are watered um, and how the watering system often is like a circular kind of um, situation. So because of that, I guess, like there's a lot of like plant life around the edges of that circle circle um, that don't get watered. And so I think she sees the pastoral care that she gives as being like she waters the people on the edges. Yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting observation. I mean, I think I've seen that when on an airplane, like flying across the country yeah. as well. It's like you can look down at these these farmlands and it's like the crops are growing in perfect circles. 
you know, that, that sort of represent those hydration systems at, at work, you know, that sort of link up through the middle and then they kind of radiate out to the side. And it's like, yeah, there's, there's a geometry problem in there, you know, it's like how much of this, of this land is being used and watered and how much of it is like sitting dormant because it works in a circle, you know? So what, what happens to those things and those spaces in between those circles? That, that is a lot of space to get lost, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, um, that was kind of her point. Like, is it really that, um, the plants like to grow in a circle or is it more so that it's, it's how we water? Um, and so it's kind of an interesting, um, like thing that we can think, oh, we can look at something and be like, oh, this seems to be the natural way that plants grow in a circle. No, um, our own intervention actually shapes it in an interesting way. Um, yeah. I was just thinking that uh, that would be what pi r squared um, minus two uh, pi minus four four you know two r four r right because that I was kind of doing the math in my head on how you would actually <laughs> and then like divide the you know area of the square versus area of the circle and then kind of subtract one from the other. That's interesting though. I'm, I like that perspective of watering watering those that are that are not in that. But I mean, how much of our careers that we that we have in education and interactions with others speak to exactly that. Um, there's something to be said about the, um, there's something else I was reading about this, the squeaky wheel getting the grease, so to mm-hmm. speak, with like, who gets care, who gets attention, whose voices are heard, you know, and um, all of this is great for extroverts, who are, you know, outspoken, and more comfortable speaking, and more comfortable asking for help. Um, and is that really where the attention is always needed though? And there's, there's, there's people that live in those spaces that are not directly covered by those, um, by that spoke that goes out from the center that oftentimes are neglected, I think, in, in our, in, in our attention. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it's, it reminds me of like these sayings that like 80% or 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Um, there's some interesting geometry, I think, in, how attention gets spread and who gets what attention uh and for how long um and i think it's um i don't know are the is this always the way it is like can there be like a more distributed like equally distributed wealth like right like um or are our our systems just always sort of set up for like this kind of i don't know weird hierarchy it does seem a little like a weird hire. I mean, so yeah, the question is I would I would my pose it would be like how what might the system I say like the system as if there's like a, a, a system, you know? Um how might a system be organized to ensure you know with with equity that people that are not, you know, kind of in that immediate skill set of or or habit set of asking for help and and for you know, being heard, sort of get it. But these are the questions that are really running through our our society and our culture right now. It's like, especially with a lot of the diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives, how do you make sure that people are getting what they they need without all of it just kind of really coming down to you can only, you know, help the people that ask for it? How can you how can you be of service to everyone? And I think that's, uh, that's the, the big question. And, you know, thinking about this, how much of the way that things operate today, are structured in ways that 
prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think there's so much built into structure, like just in terms of like who th- who knows that they're allowed to take up space, right? Like, so this idea of like asking for what you need, I think part of that is built into an understanding that in order to do that, you have to take up space. You have to um, be willing um, to take up your share, I guess, you know? Um, And I think that some people maybe are socialized a little bit uh, more kindly to take up space and to like recognize the value that they add to a space. And then I think other people, um, you know, are conditioned to wait their turn and to, to sort of hold themselves back within a space. Um, so it's just, I think it is really, I don't know about intentionally, but it's definitely socialized. Oh, for sure. I I think it is. I mean, uh, I think we both have seen, cases where just because of of people's personalities, those personalities have not just um, ensured that their perspectives are are heard and listened to, but also have prevented others from being heard and listened to as as well. And um, do I blame the person who's doing the speaking there who has those tendencies and those I don't want to call them abilities because it makes it sound like they're good things some all the time. And I don't think they are. Um, of course, there's some responsibility on the individual, I think, to take the time and effort to make sure that other voices can be heard. But it's also the person sort of organizing the conversation, I think, can do some things. I was going to say, you know, think like, of, of course, I'm thinking about like committee meetings mm-hmm. and faculty meetings, but any any of community gatherings, um, just sharing in general in any sort of environment that we might be in. And, you know, of course, we also don't want to assume that everybody wants to say something either, you know. Um, but how is time to be distributed between people in a way where there is if if not temporal temporal equity in everybody feeling like they have to contribute for for something, but also just the availability of someone to have a perspective that can be heard. Yeah, and I think I think how you structure a situation, like even a committee meeting or any kind of meeting, how you structure the situation so that people can be heard if they want to be heard. Um, I don't think a lot of meeting facilitation that I've been part of really allows for that, right? Like um, the conditions of most meetings are such that whoever's willing to jump in can jump in. Whoever's willing to jump in multiple times can make that happen. People who are fast turn takers um, can sort of jump on the opportunity. Um, People who can think quickly on their feet, like they get a lot more opportunity, I think, than other speakers Um, But then other people who, you know, process longer um, and sometimes will really sort through an issue in their head before they speak, um, I think they do that processing, but they don't actually um, always get the opportunity to speak because they're not as quick. So then the people who do speak the most um, are not always necessarily the most thoughtful people. Um, So it's an interesting balance right yeah it it is um because i mean i know people who have 
I don't want to say abused that, but you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's one's ability to hold court and you know, how much time someone takes is oftentimes more of a function of, of charisma and, uh, entitlement than, than having, having something valuable, Mm -hmm. valuable to say, you know, and it's hard to imagine or, or know what sort of imposing this would, would look like. I mean, Robert's rules, I guess, sort of does. I mean, in, in Senate, you know, and in House of Representatives, I think people have a set amount of time and they can cede their time to someone else or something like that if they would if they would like to. But again, this is all presuming that, you know, everybody wants has something to say and that everybody wants to be heard. And there, there's a lot of assumptions built into it that, you know, the thing that I want to say takes as much time as the thing that somebody else wants to say. And it, it's, it's kind of this weighed value mm-hmm. on what the currency of a conversation or being heard and contributing to a conversation really is. And is it volume? Is it duration? Is it impact? Is it, I mean, it, it's sort of hard to know what to shoot for when trying to come up with a system that works. Right. And I mean, one thing I can tell you is that the currency is words, right? Like that is the currency. And so like, um, like, silence and a moment where no one's speaking is almost seen as like a lack of productivity, right? Like, you know, we can't have a meeting where people just sit there and think for two minutes, like that would be a waste of time. Right. Um, I think even when we record podcasts, right, like people, I think, fear, like, what would happen if we run out of things to talk about? What if there's, you know, a moment of silence where we don't have anything to say? Um, We seem to find words to be of value and silence to um, be the thing to avoid. Um, But, you know, even if there is silence on the air, it doesn't mean there's silence in people's heads, right? Like, you know, what if, what if meetings more intentionally made space for people to talk to themselves not as much as they talk to each other, but in addition to taking time to like, hear one another and really, um, you know, just check in with themselves um, before uh, the meeting goes on. It's almost like meetings need a pause button in the middle to be like, okay, process amongst yourself. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Because, I mean, with with our podcast, you know, one thing that I, I sort of think about is like, well... People aren't listening to this podcast to hear silence, you know. And we used to we used to talk about this um, a little bit ago when we were doing some of our our Zoom workshops. That it's like, okay, let's all get together on Zoom and let's be let's be silent for a couple of minutes. It's like that's weird. It's like because you can be silent by yourself. So it's like there there's something that that being part of a community and choosing silence has a power to it that I think is unstated. And, you know, one thing that that came to mind with me when you were when you were just just speaking, it's like, how, you know, what is the proportion of time that that meetings run long versus the amount of time that meetings end early? I wonder what the math is on that, you know, because it's like, I suspect more run long than than end end early. And if more people, I wonder if, if more people had more time to, to pause and think, you know, that wouldn't actually make the, the meeting go longer. It might actually end it, end it quicker if people could contribute more thoughtfully. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that's interesting. I think there's something to that because 
how much time do we spend in meetings where what people are really doing is they an issue has been presented and then they are taking turns processing their reaction to that aloud and making everyone else bear witness to that, right? So if instead an issue was presented, people had the opportunity to process at the same time and then evaluate like, okay, so now I've processed. Is what I have come to, is that worth bringing up in the room, right? Because I know a lot of times I can talk myself out of an idea, right? Um, And this is one of the reasons I think I do morning pages. Like I'll wake up in the morning and what I think is a big deal will be in my head and it'll be on loop and I will think that it wants to be heard. And then I'll write it down on paper and realize I can leave it there. It doesn't need to be heard by another human on this earth. Um, But then there are other things where I, whatever comes up, like I'm like, that is something that I really want to um, share out into the world. And I've been, I've been reading a little bit about the idea of self-regulation. And one of the things that came up with that is this idea of like, when do we talk to another person in an effort to connect to them versus when do we talk to another person in an effort to regulate within what's going on within us? So we're regulating at them versus trying to connect to them. And I think in meetings, there's a lot of performative regulating. Yeah, I, I think there is too. I was gonna, I was gonna ask um, when, because I mean, I can when I'm in a meeting, uh, no matter sort of what the size of it is, I can sort of feel this pressure building. It's like something's gonna come out. Something wants to come out. Um, I don't think I've ever gone into a meeting in my life though with what I would call prepared statements, or it's like I'm gonna make sure that I bring this up today. It, it just always is. Uh, well, let's show up and see what happens, and then it's like uh, kind of dial into the to the the way the conversation. I I almost never contribute at the beginning of a meeting. It's like I just kind of hang out and wait for some other folks to sort of set set the tone maybe or see which way things are going to go and then I'll kind of then I'll kind of start in with the way that more like how I relate to the way it's going more than being the driver of the conversation I think that might not be true but I think that's what I do interesting so I think early in my career when I would go to meetings I I think I was very shy to to speak up in a meeting so I really had to push myself to be a contributor. And when I would talk in meetings, I would physically shake, like no matter what, like I just was always terrified when I was talking. So I would push myself to talk in meetings because I knew I wasn't contributing at all. And then with time, I think I became the one who was always talking um, and often the one who spoke first and sometimes spoke last. And so um, now when I go to meetings, I go in with, is what I'm thinking necessary? Like, is it necessary to contribute? And then the second thing I ask is, um, is it my job? Um, Because I'm the kind of person who can always see opportunity within a space. And I can always imagine how things could be and how I think they ought to be versus how they are. Um, So I can always... Um, I can always contribute, 
but I have become really cognizant of how much space I take up when I do that and how often, um, <laughs> this is how 20% of the people end up doing 80% of the work because they've been willing to do the 80% for so long. Um, so I try not to speak up first because I want to allow more space now. Yeah. Um, there are other people too, and other people can do some, some work, um, as well. I mean, imagine if there was a rule, it's like the amount of, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm putting some, some sort of bounds on this a little bit. I'm just thinking about like some of the, like, work meetings that I've been in. I'm not talking about like necessarily, you know, social movement kind of stuff, just like people talking in a, in a faculty meeting about some sort of thing where the, the amount of, of, of speaking that you did was proportional to the amount of work that you were agreeing to do. Wouldn't that be a way to, <laughs> that'd be a way to, you know, get a meeting to end early. I, I think, um, I've noticed a difference though, when, when I speak and on how I feel when I am depending on whether or not I'm, I'm running the meeting or if I'm contributing to the meeting. Because if I'm running the meeting, I don't have the sort of channeling word out-of-body experiences. I'm really thoughtful and I stay present and I, I say clear and specific things, and but not too often because I want to make sure that other people have time to con contribute. But if I'm like in the meeting and I'm not the, the one running it, I will abuse that clock. Uh, like when, and it's like, that's when I feel like this pressure and I just like, I channel what the universe wants to be heard, you know, but it's like, I don't do that when I'm running the meeting. I only do that when I'm like in the meeting and other people are doing it. Interesting. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know whether I think, I think I actually, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out whether or not I think I have longer terms or, or hold the floor more if I'm facilitating or attending a meeting. Um, and I'm not sure that I have like a identifiable pattern there. Um, I honestly think it might happen. I think it might depend on what kind of mood I'm coming into the meeting with. Mm. Um, and um, also who else is contributing within the space. Um, I also think, um, whether or not I contribute within the meeting, I think when I'm facilitating, it's easier for me because, um, it's hard for me to find a safe, a space to be safe. And I think when I'm facilitating, mm. I feel safer because I can control, uh, per whether I s feel it as a safe space. Um, but when I'm attending a meeting, I feel like I have very little control over whether the space has been uh, facilitated in a way that makes contributors, including myself, feel safe. Um, so I think how people come to the space and how much they contribute may have something to do with safety as well as content that they wish to share. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I get that. I get that. That's interesting. Um I might have the opposite experience hmm. for myself though. It's like I've one of the reasons that in it being uh, an, an administrator or doing like administrative things, calling meetings, running meetings, um, kind of started to rub me in some pretty not so comfortable ways. And that it's like, I need to take a break from this is that I don't think I ever really felt particularly safe when I was running hmm. a meeting. And I don't know if that's because of the people that were, <laughs> 
were in the meeting with me, you know, uh, might not necessarily be the, the safest people to be in a meeting with. But it's like when I'm a participant in a meeting, it's like, I'll just let it rip. You know, it's like, what do I care? It ain't my meeting. You know, <laughs> it's like, I don't have to do anything for anyone here. You know, I can, I can, you know, if somebody's being jerky, I can call that out. If I want to give somebody a high five, I can do that because I mean, it's not my meeting. I can play favorites if I totally want. Um, and, Running the meeting, though, I don't know. I don't know how to do it well. It's like I have to give everybody equal time. and Or just leave that sort of what's going on in my head. And it's like I'm not comfortable cutting people off just because I, I, I'm not good at it because I, I don't feel like I should have to because people should know better than to monopolize time. But they do anyway, so I have to do something that I don't think people should have. It's like, oh, I just don't even want to, you know. So it's like running meetings, it's like I don't know. And I'm also talking about particular kinds of meetings. I'm happy to get a group of kids together, a bunch of students or something. Yeah, that's fine, you know. But it's like when when I'm in like a, a business kind of environment meeting, it's like I don't like running those. Um, with I don't like running those too much just because it's like it, uh, it's and it's not and it's whether or not I actually have to have to do that and like try to do something to regain the the reins on that versus um, trying to set the conditions for it to happen by itself where it doesn't happen all there's still this anxiety. Yeah. Well, that's I think that's really interesting. Maybe it kind of relates to what we've noticed about um, what kinds of situations I feel most at home in versus uh, those that you do. Like we've talked mm. about this where um, I like to lead a group. I feel more at home there, but one-on-one uh, kind of gives me not, I don't want to say it gives me hives and then have every listener who's ever talked to me one-on-one been like, <laughs> Oh no, I'm making her uncomfortable. It's, it's not that. It's just, um, I think that there's some vulnerability that comes with having a conversation with someone one-on-one um, that I feel like I can I can fend off when it's in more of a group setting, um, which I know that public speaking is like terror amongst terrors for a lot of people. Um, but I don't know, you know, when I was an administrator, one of the things I loved most actually was running meetings um, and people, you know, praised me for a well-led, efficient meeting. I don't believe that meetings should be longer than an hour ever, um, unless they're like me and Paul's business meetings. Of course, of course. Um, and uh, then one of my uh, part-time faculty used to always tell me that like I was more funny than like Jay Leno. And I, you know, I, <laughs> I found that to be delightful. Um, so I love being in control of a meeting. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think what we had we had talked about um, before, and I think we even talked about this on a podcast before. That it's like, give me a one on one any day. You know, I feel like I can get more done there than I can with a group of people. Yeah, every time when I when I run a meeting, you know, I just kind of feel this. I don't know. It's kind of this ang- anxiousness that sort of threads through, which might be the thing that's actually like really keeping me careful in, in my body and. Um, not in a way where I feel like I'm tra- channeling my true self or not saying what I really want to say because, oh, I'm running the meeting and I can't do anything in the least bit controversial because but it's like, I just, it's just, I just rather not, I'm going to be uh-huh. honest. That's interesting. Do you, do you think when we have co-led meetings together, do you have the same experience? Like, are you still... When we when we lead together, do you feel it more like 
your like when you lead alone or does it take the take the pressure off some oh it totally takes the pressure off because when we co-lead things i just pretend that you're leading it (laughs) i don't think i ever realized that interesting um which is funny because i think i spend more time in that contest thinking like oh i gotta make space for paul um that's funny um that's funny yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I don't know. But it's like, I don't know. I mean, it, I think what what's important is that when we're co-leading a meeting, I think we both trust each other enough to to know that if something starts really going sideways, that one of us is going to pick up on it and, and bring the, put the, put the train back on the tracks, I think. So um, and that certainly does, you know, take a lot of the, a lot of my anxiousness out of it. You know, so I say it's like, you know, I just pretend that you're doing it. It's like, well, it's sort of true, but I mean, there's a little more to it than that, you know, but it, it, it depends on context and who's in the meeting and what it's for and how defined it is. And it's like, we're going to have a meeting because we have meetings and I'm going to run it. It's like, I don't like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, You know, I do think that when we co-lead things, maybe part of what I sometimes get a little antsy with is like, I I want the meeting to be about the full group. And sometimes I think if individual needs start to emerge, like I'm not always really good at like slowing down and taking time for like the needs of the individual within a space. And I think that's one of the things that like, you know, you'll be like, whoa, 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 let's attend to this thing. Um, And I think that's good because sometimes I think I, I can get in, uh, agenda mode and forget about the needs of the individuals in the space. Yeah, I think I do. Um, I, I do pause for, for the individuals in the space quite often. And, you know, just as one thing that I do, it's like, I'll make sure that I at least say every, every person's name and give some space afterwards for everybody to be able to contribute whenever, whenever I'm in that, in, in a meeting or in a space. Yeah, and I, I think I've watched you uh, do that, and it's kind of funny because I think people, um, when you first do it, people, like, it jars people, like, wait, did he just say my name? And then they mm-hmm. have to go through this process of, did I do something wrong, or is he just saying my name to get my attention? Like, what's happening here? Yeah, I mean, if I say, anybody have anything they'd like to add? I mean, that that doesn't solve No, it does not. It does not. (laughs) Uh, So we're both laughing now because the end of our experiment has come. Time's up. Timer. The timer just went out. Timer went out, and I had three seconds left. Three point seven two one seconds. Yeah, left. You know, it's like I. It's like should I should I hit it at point zero 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 one or? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Uh, so, so what were we what, what were we doing? So what were we doing? yeah, so so listeners, at the beginning of this podcast, we started with a chess clock, uh, where we both had fifteen minutes on the clock, uh, and we went back and forth, intentionally taking turns to speak, um, and knowing we had limits. Yeah. yeah. So what, <laughs> we we each had we each had fifteen minutes. And so, you know, when, when we, we, we had this whole like minute and a half or two minute conversation before we started, you know, that might end up somewhere just because it's humorous. And it's like, so we, do we, do we press the timer when we start or when we end or, and what are we talking about? So, um, so many things I noticed 
during the middle of this. So why did we do this? Why did we do this? Uh, well, so I think it started with um, I'm taking this nonviolent communication class that was talking about um, how sometimes if somebody's taking a turn that's longer than about 40 seconds, um, they can stop. What is it? Stop like the connection between themselves and the person mm. they're talking to can start to devolve. Um, and so in NBC, they actually really encourage interruption if the intent of the interruption is to reconnect or to keep a uh, connection going. So you and I were trying to figure out like, well, how long is 40 words? Um, and I sort of used a estimator clock, this kind of thing mm -hmm. designed to help you right. time out your speech, like a speech. And it said right. that 40 words was about 18 seconds. 18 seconds. So um, I don't know if there's a way to, to set up the chess timer. So it's like there's 18 second turns. I don't know, but that would be interesting. I was thinking, my God, 18 seconds. Um, I think I, yeah, that's really fascinating. Because um, like, that's going to go so quick. Mm -hmm. That is just going to go so quick. Um, I think about this, you know, how much how much time is, is taken on our podcast by whom? Um, every time I mix the mix, mix the podcast and and export it as an MP3, because it's like I see the waveforms here of Paul and Sherry on separate tracks here, and it's like I see how this looks. It's like I I don't even you know I think there's a way to do the math like a comparative under the curve area under the curve of the waveform thing. It's like I'm not going to do that just because I think I know what it's going to say. So what's your hypothesis of what it's going to say? I, I think I, I think I talk more on this podcast than you do. So I don't think I, I don't think that I talk more on this podcast than you do. I know for a goddamn <laughs> mathematical fact that on on many of these, not all, on, on many, it's like uh, it looks like I'm talking a lot, and my turns are longer. We talked about this before. Yeah, well, and I think that that. So I was thinking about that while we did this experiment, um, because I know that there are times where I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm talking so much. Um, and I'm super, super, like, maybe overly concerned about how much space I take up when I'm talking. Um, <coughs> so sometimes I think I take shorter turns because I'm super concerned about that. But I think one of the things that I notice is that I tend to ask a lot of questions. And I think that pushes you yeah, to talk more. Right. Um, and that's one of the first things I noticed in, uh, the, this little experiment is I asked you a question that couldn't be answered through a short turn. Like, how do you water your garden? Right? Like that requires a long yes. answer. <laughs> right. Yes. I do. I do water the garden. <laughs> with a hose. Water. Yeah. With a hose. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about that too. I was like, stop asking questions because, uh. But you know, I think you've you've probably figured this out by now, Sherry, right? Over the last, you know, couple of years that I will happily oblige you asking questions because I'll just like wax on about God knows what for for hours after afterwards, you know. So um, I've never been a stranger to that. But I mean, there were a couple of times uh, during this this one when we were, you know, do we say that? Yeah. So we, we each had 15 minutes total yep. mm -hmm. to, to sort of go. 
Um, there were the times when I was getting a little tight chested, a little anxious, a little like, oh man, I'm gonna run out of time. <laughs> and I need, there's this like, I need to start asking her more. So, Sherry, what do you think about that? You know, start asking you a couple of more questions. Um, I was trying not to speed up, like my, my voice. I was trying to not, not speed up to, to get more stuff in. Oh, I noticed a lot. I uh-huh. noticed a lot. This is better than record and go back and listen to it because it's like, you know what's happening. You can see the difference in this time clock. I was ahead of you by a couple of minutes for, for a, a bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. I was noticing that too. Um, and that's one of the reasons like I, I noticed I stopped asking as many questions. Like I had questions that popped up and then I was like, you can't do that to him. Um, and part of the reason I didn't want to is because I didn't want to have to end with a monologue of Sherry. Yeah, because I was thinking, yeah, I was like, I thought about doing that. You know, I thought about, it's like, you know what, I'm going gonna, gonna to take like a 10 minute turn here and just kind of leave leave you with 10 minutes at the end. It's like, all right. Yeah. I'm going to go get a sandwich. I'll see you in 10 minutes. Right. Keep talking. Keep talking. And it, it still did feel like, I mean, it still felt like a game of chess, right? Like, yeah, it did. Yeah, totally did. It totally did. Um checkmate <laughs> right right you had three seconds left yeah uh that's funny because we've talked about playing chess but we've never played chess together but now we have played we verbal sort of chess have. yeah we sort of have um we each did this thing where we wrote down what we thought was going to happen mm-hmm. um before before uh before we started this what did you put did it, well let me ask did, did did you did what you thought would happen is that what happened well so it's interesting when we did that i wrote down a lot of questions first like things that i was wondering about um and it took me a while to push myself to to actually name what i thought was going to happen mm-hmm. um and so i think it kind of came down to like paranoias of like um so I imagine that early on we would both take really short turns, um, especially after like the first couple of turns go quick and we realize how quickly time moves. And then I thought we would get like to like really short. And then once we got more settled into it, they would expand. I also um, thought that we wouldn't go as deep um, as we normally do because the clock would be distracting. Um, and I was also afraid that I wouldn't have as much to say because I would be anticipating when the turn would happen, um, instead of focusing on what we were talking about. What did you write? I wrote, um, Paul will say more at the beginning and at the end and not much in the middle because (laughs) it's like, I'll talk too much and then overcompensate on the back end and then like say a lot at the end, I sort of make it up. But I think I certainly did. That's all I wrote. Okay. Um, um, but I thought, well, I mean, the scientist in me, right? It's like either I'm going to go along in the beginning and then they'll get progressively shorter or I'll start by thinking about this and I'll go short at the beginning and then like have a banked time at the end to start. And it's like, I'm not sure. What's fun about this is that we actually can sort of look at the look at the audio files and see how, how time went. But um, I think it was the, the second one that you that you said really did i think i I was thinking about that the whole time we might not go as deep Mm -hmm. you know on stuff and that that might have been true you know so it's like we can look and see how many listeners we have for this one it's like 
if 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 a listener pulls the plug at twenty minutes and saying this is the least interesting podcast they have ever recorded, I'm, he's like, yeah, I, I get it. It's cool, you know. Yeah. Give us some give us some grace on this one. So I don't know if we did or not. You know, it it went in an interesting direction, I think, and I think we talked about some stuff that we both think about, but that we I don't know how it would have been different if we were not watching the clock so so carefully with this one. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, um, when I listen back to older podcasts, uh, and Which every time I we record, one of the things that I do. notice that I hate um, is I notice how often, like, I can hear myself trying to jump in, like, eh, oh, eh, right? Um, and so I'm interrupting you. And one of the things I noticed when we were recording this is it occurred to me, Sherry, you don't have to jump in. He will make space for you. Yeah, I'm not sure what to do with that. <laughs> well, but it's, you it's know, like, uh, yeah, me yeah. neither, right? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's why we did this, right? So right? it's like, I don't know what to do with that. Um, yeah, it, it, it did feel like it was an intentional act as I'm going to stop talking now and I'm going to, you know, give the baton over to, to Dr. Spiegel to now contribute. And because I think we... I mean, we know that, you know, sometimes during the podcast when one of us interrupts the other, we're not being rude. We're, I mean, it's like, we know how this works. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think either one of us, I can only speak for myself, but I don't think either one of us at the end of one of our recordings has said, boy, they really didn't give me a lot of room to speak on that one. And I really would have liked more time. It's like, I don't think, says the, you know, extroverted, chatty, Irish white man. I don't think I've ever felt like I can't. <laughs> God, my privilege, right, is, is showing. You know, I, I don't think I've, I've ever felt that. I, I can only ask you if you've ever felt that way, though. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't... I think my answer... Like, I don't think I felt that way. But I think my socialization, like, my fear that I won't get a word in is something that I'm... This experiment made me, like... How much of it, uh, of it is like my fear that there's no space for me, not the actual reality? And I don't know. Right, I like right. it. It will be interesting to keep seeing that, um, because like, you know, I mean, you and I are both people who can talk a lot. Yeah, ask literally anyone that we know. <laughs> right, and I know um, yeah. early in our friendship, like one of our mutual friends said to me, like. Being alone in a room with the two of you is a lot. Um, <laughs> and I, that's why we don't have a guest on this podcast. Yeah, that's why we don't have a guest. Um, but I think, I think, I think we, I, I guess I won't speak for you, but like when we're talking, sometimes I think we interrupt each other a lot. And I think it's most more to do with like excitement and shared like input. And it's, yeah. it's not like a dominating over each other? No, it's not. Yeah, I've never felt that way. Yeah. But, you know, that's not for me to say, I think, that I'm, I'm not the one that would feel that way, I think, given social norms and in that. So it's like I, I leave you to, to answer that more effectively than me. Yeah, I don't want to answer. No, I'm just yeah, <laughs> No, but I mean, <laughs> but it's, it is, I mean, it's just, it's interesting. Like I find it very interesting, and I don't, I don't quite know what to do with it yet. What's the it? Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, when um, when I'm in 
in meetings with people that I, I don't know as well, or that I or I don't know at all, or sort of whatever, um, I say far less, I say far less. You know, it's, you know, I, I know for a fact, I don't just like show up in zoom spaces or and, and just like dominate conversation. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I may be wrong. I don't think I, I don't think I do that. Um, uh, I'm much more conscious of space making in situations where people don't know what they're in for. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess, you know, it's like, just gonna let people be heard and I don't need to, you know, one of the, one of the things that's been guiding me lately um, that has that I have pulled out of my hat um, in group conversation or on online chats, um, chat spaces or, or social media walls or whatever it is, is um, is this a situation that calls for the opinion of a middle-aged white man? And I find that oftentimes the answer to that is no. And therefore, I do not need to contribute to this this conversation, right? Another uh, enough middle aged white men are already contributing. We, you know, this situation does not call for another one, right? To to throw in on this, yeah. I'm yeah. just going to say the same shit that every other middle aged white, you know, is like I, I'm not contributing to this conversation in a meaningful way by saying something. Well, and I mean, I think that that's something that. <sighs> that all people could benefit from like thinking about within a meeting is like, if I bring my voice to this particular topic, what am I contributing? Um, And what is my motive for contributing? Is my motive to add to uh, the, the set of perspectives that are under consideration um, or am I trying to work out some sort of identity issue by taking up space in a meeting, right? Like sometimes when I watch people who t- hold the floor a lot, um, mm. especially people who kind of hold the floor hostage, um, sometimes like I look at those people and I see someone who wants desperately to be seen mm-hmm. and doesn't feel seen so their strategy for that is to take very, very long turns. Yeah, hijack the plane, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I was I was doing some writing. I don't think I shared this with you yet. Um, no, I don't think I did. But I was doing some writing about, um, like, a typical kind of meeting that one might come to maybe I'll get this up on the blog before this episode comes out. Um, mm. The typical kind of meeting wherein every single person in the room comes in with some sort of unmet need, but they don't mm. broadcast it. Right. And so sometimes when we're in a meeting space, part of our work to do perhaps is to try to understand um, that every other person around the table is coming to the meeting with a set of needs and those needs might uh, help you to understand the behavior that you're witnessing within the meeting. Right, right. Um, and, you know, I, I thought about coining a new a new phrase, you know, as we were talking about this performative diversity. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we, be, and this is just like, just because you have a diversity of individuals in the room with different backgrounds, different perspectives, different histories, different types of histories, um, 
in whatever environment that it is, doesn't necessarily mean that you have diversity of contribution and diversity of, of, of spoken history and, and diversity of ide ideation mm -hmm. that's being, that's being voiced there. So it's like, what is the diversity that you want? You know, you, you sort of, I think I think you need the diversity of individuals within a room in order to to have that. But what is the goal? You know, the goal is the diversity of perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, with policy making and all this other kind of stuff, and you need diversity of individuals to do that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all of those diverse perspectives are being voiced and heard and considered. Mm -hmm. And and I I put that at the at the feet of the organizers. You know, to ensure, and this is what the what what kind of you were. You were talking about people coming to a, a, a space with all of their needs um, and what they need to meet those needs and making sure those are addressed mm -hmm. so that so that folks can get what they, they really want, which is the diversity of ideas um, and not just the the appearance of diversity where everything just sort of keeps on happening. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, as it as it is for for structural reasons. I mean, this is critical race theory, right? right. Um, a little bit. But you know, as we're thinking about this, I'm thinking about um, a situation that often showed up in the classroom that always annoyed me that I think I'm now going to bring a different kind of understanding to. Um, so one of my pet peeves as a teacher is when um, I'm in the classroom and I'm trying to figure out what the class of the day is going to look like. And then a student walks in and they say to me, before they say hi or anything else, what are we going to do today? Mm -hmm. um, and so I've always hated that because I've been like, well, stick around and find out, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but if I come to that student's question with some curiosity, like what if they're asking because they know that they're the kind of person who tends to forget or have trouble retaining what they've read and they want to open their textbook mm. up and mm -hmm. reread that passage so that they know where to start. Uh, what if yeah. what if their intent is really positive to be a contributor, right? But instead, my assumption is, oh, they're trying to ask, are we doing anything of value mm. today? But what mm -hmm. if they're not, right? Like, what if there's another need trying to be met? Yeah, and this is, you know, I give I give great kudos to Jack Cornfield here uh, with his his response to that question more often than anything else are those kinds of questions. Oh, what makes you ask? Mm -hmm. oh, why do you ask? Oh, curious question. Why? What are you thinking? You know, yeah. just kick it back. Just kick it back, you know, and see what they say, yeah. you know. And, and I think that requires some awareness that, you know, I think I know why they're asking that question. That may or may not be what's actually happening, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I could just ask them why they're asking and all kinds of interesting things might happen. If I do, you know, all kinds of interesting things might happen if I do. And and that not only gets your question addressed with the risk of something interesting happening, um, but it also, you know, sets the, the student up for an interactive environment where they do feel like they're able to contribute and their needs are being heard and possibly met or at least definitely considered. And uh, what, 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 negative could could come of it mm -hmm. you know none that i can i can sort of imagine that's not the question that i hate the most though no. um mine is yeah i missed class on tuesday did i miss anything it's like oh i love that yeah <laughs> it's like no i usually just say no nope, you're good you know what am i gonna do you know because that would you often be followed up with you know can i swing by your office and you can let me know what we did no 
Yeah. I like to respond to that one with, I think a fellow student would be best positioned to identify for you the parts of the class that you would deem valuable. Yeah. Make sure you compensate them for their, (laughs) you know, for make sure you compensate them. Yeah. If, uh, if they do so, because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're doing you a service. That's for sure. Goodness. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah good. That's the one. But I get that one too. It's like, so what are we doing today? It's like, oh, I usually just kind of be coy and oh, wait and see. Oh, it's like, oh, you're going to love it or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what the takeaway from this one is, you know. Um, but this whole notion of time and space and the value of contribution and what, what objectives are, what is the role of participants? What's the role of, organizer you know and and what do we do with time mm-hmm. you know because you like it or not that's one of those things that you just don't have to worry about that it's going to keep going forward probably you know um very 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 probably mm-hmm. and um so much of what we do and what we try to do is in this construct of things moving in a in a uh, on an arrow like direction in a particular way and um, whether or not you sort of believe in a causative universe where there's this cause and effect and I, that it's because of that or not, and there are opinions on this, by the way, um, it's not necessarily like, mm, this is the way it is. Um, we're, we're sort of stuck in this, in this thinking that, you know, time, and we've talked about this before in a mutually agreed upon way, time is sort of the ultimate limited resource that we sort of have. It is pie, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you you do things with time at the expense of other things that you could do with time when you mm-hmm. do them, you know, because it's like you can't you, do. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, a little while ago, I posted on our shared Instagram account um, a question asking people what resource did they think was limited or scarce but found yeah. out wasn't. Uh, yeah. And one of the responses we got was actually time. Um, and I was talking to the person who shared that response. Um, and what she was noting was that, like, we feel like time is scarce. But we have a lot more time than we think. We just don't allocate it, especially discerningly. Yeah, right. right. Um, and I think that was an right. interesting thing in this little thought experiment like as we played with our chess clock um there was equal space for both of us in in the talk right um but i think we felt the pressure of the clock yeah like literally felt yeah i I literally i I literally felt it it's like the clock's ticking you know (laughs) yeah it's like i may have also like (laughs) <laughs> I may have also like intentionally taken shorter turns than I normally do. Yeah, I could tell. Yeah, I could tell a couple of times. It's like you would say more usually at a time like this. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm sure quite the opposite. Yeah, I'm sure quite the opposite. There are probably a couple of times when it's like, well, Paul cut that off quick. Usually he's gone for another minute and a half. Yeah. But I jumped I jumped ahead by about a minute early on and I was like, oh man, I see how this is going to go. Yeah. That was interesting. It was interesting. Yeah, it certainly is. So, um, that being said, eighteen seconds is quick. Eighteen seconds, you know, if you do it, it's like, was it forty words or eighteen seconds? Yeah. And uh, yeah, because when you when you first mentioned that, I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. 
Um, one I think would be wise to pay attention if one is to interrupt someone in the spirit to come up with some strategies on how to do that kindly and, mm-hmm. and not just whoa 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 you know like like That's I Paul's sometimes favorite. can do yeah I can do um I mean I don't do that with like anybody on the street though unless I do um uh so I'm, I'm sure some strategies are offered right and how to do that in a kind way where it's not you know just rude interrupting you know but I mean just the fact that you're gonna you're gonna interrupt and ask somebody for some clarification or to a pause for a moment so you can absorb or something like that sort of precludes the yeah right the rudeness a little yeah i mean the whoa 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 that you have is not followed up with i'm bored i don't want to listen anymore right it's usually followed up with a desire to connect more um and it's interesting because i think that the ruder thing to do is to just keep nodding along even though you're thinking about burritos right yeah right right um and this is you know my husband and i think about this all the time because there are topics this is shocking there are topics for which uh one of us is quite interested and the other is not um (laughs) and we will basically intentionally ask the other person to feign interest in the topic for a set period of time uh we call this show sewing showing the soaps Um, but you know, because, you know, I can either not care and never listen to him talk about that thing, or we can both acknowledge that it's going to take me some willpower to power through this, but because I love him. Yeah. Right. Yes, please. Yeah. The interest doesn't, yeah. The interest doesn't have to be in the, in the topic, but it certainly is in the person, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. if we, if we see people fully for who they are and not just a set of, of, of topics, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, this person is so boring. It's like, well, no, they're not right. They're endlessly fascinating. Yeah. And there's this topic that's interesting to them that is not necessarily interest in the same way to me, but because I love this person and, you know, we're in this relationship, yada, yada, yada. I don't know what yada, yada, yada means in, in that context, but you see where I'm going with this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Perhaps it will be of mutual service, right? Um, for me to to engage in this conversation. Uh, and ooh, burritos, mm-hmm. burritos. But sometimes the most cutting insight can come from people that aren't particularly interested, because they're going to see things in completely different ways yeah. than someone who's embedded in with within it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. If you talk to people who you've been talking about for such a long time with all this kind of stuff already, you can play the whole conversation out with how it's going to go in your head a lot of times without even having the going through the formality of of having the actual conversation with the person. It's when you're talking to the disinterested person, it's like, well, why don't you just do this? And it's like, well, I've never thought of that. Right. What an interesting idea, you know, and taking the time to give the person space and, you know, the leniency to contribute with non-traditional expectations with what they might say mm-hmm. is, I think, the greatest gift, not only that you can give them, but you can give yourself. Yeah. As a problem solver. Oh, yeah. Well, and I mean, that's kind of the thing about Eric is like, he's he's an internal processor, so he won't always talk, like, he won't walk right, you through right, what right. he's thinking. But when he comes to a solution, like, it's usually, like, brilliant. Usually, um, yeah. 
And I love watching like a group of people come together and try to solve a problem. And they'll be just like spinning their wheels, spinning their wheels. And then Eric will be like, well, I have a question. Why don't we blank? And then everyone in the room is like, oh, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, let's do that. Right? Let's do that. What a gift to have uh, to have a mind that works that way, though. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, there, there's folks who run all sorts of the versions of of how to be in this world. I think with regards to that, um, I like to talk stuff out. What can I say? You know, because what I know about myself is if I just kind of I'm going to keep this inside and figure all this out by myself. It's like. I might end up in some pretty strange places that don't necessarily work. You know, there, there's a, I, I trust the ground truth thing of saying things out loud more than, uh, more than a lot of folks sometimes might, I guess. I don't know. I think that's... Um, talking, talking something out with someone is like the highest test that something can, that I can, that can give to something, I think. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I value about, and probably it's why we have a podcast, right? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, like we do here on this podcast, 69 times. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it's it's interesting because I sometimes think um, that Eric, too, values the fact that there is a Paul in my life because it's like, oh, good. She talked this out with Paul. I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to play a role in it. The, the first, yeah, the first pass, the first pass has already been made, right? There's still some some grain and some chaff, but a lot of the chaff is, you know, yeah, winnowed yeah. out, winnowed out. Yeah. Especially if it's teaching stuff, you know. Yeah. Oh so. yeah. yeah. Uh well, this was a fascinating experiment, Paul. Yeah, it was. Um, maybe the second half hour of it was more interesting than the first half hour for the for the listener. I'm not sure. Um, love to get some feedback on it though. Yeah. I don't, I'll be interested to hear how they experience it because I know for me, I experienced the first half hour with a lot of uh, tightness in my chest. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did too. I was like, who I'm about to have, it's like, if I, I, might, I literally might have an anxiety attack. Right. You know? <laughs> and then as soon as that buzzer went out, I was like, oh, thank <sighs> God. Now God. we can just be. Because I didn't feel like I could interrupt. You know, it's like when it was not my turn, I was like, I'm sitting back in the chair. It's like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. I felt the same. Yeah. yeah I was like, so you got to wait until he hands you the baton. And I even went back and forth with myself about like, well, I want to like give him like positive enforcement of uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. I was doing the same thing. I was, I was like, like, nope. Nope. Just just let him talk. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oof. It was interesting. It is fascinating. Yeah, I'm going to continue to think about this as well, yeah. I think. And yeah, we'll now cool. invite our listeners to have two minutes of silence where they'll yeah. just listen. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we'll start each podcast from now on with two minutes of silence. It's like, is it, does it work? Is it on? <laughs> That's is, what I would do. Is this, is is this my, it? Are my is speakers this on? Are they, these earbuds working? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you know, Dr. Spiegel, this episode is the first episode of um, summer. This is going to come out on the first full day of summer i think the 22nd of june wow welcome to summer paul welcome to summer welcome to summer mm. cool so i thought i'd slip that in at the end yeah as a welcome to summer so i guess that makes this episode one of season six season six we'll talk more about that later we have no plans Crazy. at this point so our, our only plan is to keep doing a podcast and drink awesome. some lemonade drink some lemonade and it's what you maybe do in a summer. watermelon or yeah awesome 
Well, have a lovely Friday, Sherry, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye, y'all. Thanks, listeners. Bye-bye. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com. Paul and Sherry have a podcast. Paul and Sherry podcast, yes. Yes.